0: That, if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm twenty-three. Thank you, Paul. Psalm twenty-three, this morning. Um, there is instead of a bulletin for you to follow along this morning. There's a program for you to look at. I, I love plays. I always have. Uh, the very first play that I ever went to. Um, now you have to understand the scenario. When I was little, my dad always took us to the. Texas OU game in October to the State Fair of Texas. It's a, it's a, Well, you just have to experience it. The State Fair of Texas is this large thing, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, and then you throw in a football game on top of that between two arch rivals that hate each other, uh, one in Texas and one in Oklahoma, and add another 80,000 people to that mix, um, half of which are wearing orange and half of which are wearing red, Well, it's an experience, and it's a fun experience. And back when I was little was during a time when Texas was fairly regularly beating Oklahoma, so it was lots of fun. And uh, one year, my parents said, we're going to go to a play at the State Fair after the game. Well, that won't be any fun. Why would we do that? (laughs) You know, there's there's a game, but there's also the midway, and there's other fun things to do at the fair. Why would we... Uh, We do that, and we saw Annie, a musical, Uh, and I fell in love with plays. We didn't go to a lot. I lived in a small town, and plays weren't something that we did or had, Um, but if I got a chance, I would go to a play. We, for three or four years in elementary school, we got to go uh, as a field trip, I don't even remember where it was, to see a play, and just was fascinated that you could See and almost touch these people that were doing things that people did in the movie theater, and it was a, a wonderful experience for me. And I still love plays to this day. And as I look at Psalm 23, what really jumps out to me is is this is a, a short play, kind of like in high school you do one act plays, and there's usually two or three scenes, and sometimes there's not even a curtain. Uh, sometimes. After the scene, they'll just rearrange a couple of things and a, a box will turn into a chair and it's kind of fascinating how that happens, but there's these three or four short scenes and, uh, and from that, a story is told. I look at Psalm 23 like that. It's a, it's a one-act play with three scenes. Now, I don't have a curtain. We don't have any stage props. You're going to need to use your imagination this morning. When you show up at a theater, one of the first things you do is you look at your program and you go, okay, who's who's in the play? What's the cast? Um, and there's a, a superscript above that. It says a, a psalm of David. Okay, David is, is one of our characters. And every time you see the word I or me or my, that's David or the character he's playing. He's actually one of those actors who has more than one role in our story. And then the very first line of the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. We get the second character in our play. It's, it's God. And and at least in this first scene, he's playing the part of a shepherd, which means David's playing the part of a sheep. Now, just a little background information. Um, sheep are notoriously dumb. For four-legged animals, pound for pound, they, they may be the dumbest animal on the planet. And David is saying, I'm a sheep. Now, we probably don't need to look around too far or look in the mirror too long to know that sometimes people can give sheep a run for their money in the do dumb things category. And so it's appropriate that, that David gets to, to play a sheep. So, in my mind, one of the things when I'm sitting in the theater and the curtains close and I'm, I'm waiting, I'm always wondering, what's the director going to do with the set? Is it going to be really plain, and, and that forces the actors sometimes to, to bring out what's going on, or is it going to be fairly elaborate, that I get a good idea? When I think of shepherds and sheep, what immediately comes to mind is like a, a 17th century pastoral English countryside, rolling hills, lots of green grass, maybe a creek, some trees, Sheep lazily grazing. But the curtain opens here. And there are hills, but there's also lots of dirt and rocks. And it's hot. It's windy. And and the shepherd keeps stopping to get a rock out of his sandal. And I don't see any grass for these. And and then as I think about that, as I look at that scene, I think, this is what happens day after day after day. This is the daily existence. They wake up with dirt and heat. They go to find pasture with dust and heat. They lay down at night with rocks and heat. And then the, the character says his first line of the play, I shall not want. Really? In that landscape, you don't have any lack, you don't have any needs? Is, maybe he's talking about, um, I'm not going to want jealously, and I'm going to share the few blades of grass with my friends. But if we keep listening to the play, if we keep listening to the character speak, we're going to find out that he gives us some more details about that. Listen to the next line. He makes me lie down in green pastures, but I don't see any green pastures. Where do you get those? Where do those come from? What the what the sheep is saying is, my shepherd, he he satisfies me with, hung, with my hunger, my needs of hunger. He takes care of those. In the midst of this desolate landscape, he finds a place for my needs can be met. As I think about that, I think about my own life and my basic need really isn't hunger. I mean it's important, those physical needs are important, but my real basic simplest need, and your most basic simplest need is you and I need to know our Creator. We need to have a relationship with the one who made us. And just like that shepherd with his sheep who finds green pasture in the midst of that desolate situation, God has given us a way to know Him. He has provided for us the means necessary to meet that most basic need of knowing Him. He gave us His Word. This is full of information about that God who loves us and made us. But he went a step beyond that. The writer of Hebrews tells us at the very beginning of that book, um, in times past, in various portions, in various ways, through the prophets, God has spoken to us. He revealed himself to us. But then he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, through His Son. And then a couple of verses down, He says, Who is the exact representation of His being? There is a perfect picture of our Creator that we find in the pages of the Gospels and His name is Jesus Christ. And we can look at Him and know God, which is our basic need, know what He's like, know what He's about. You know, despite being dumb, when a shepherd leads a sheep to green pasture, he tends to, to stay in graze. He tends to not get distracted by the dirt and the rocks around him if there's good grass. Are we smarter than sheep? When God has revealed Himself to us and given us the means to know Him, are we distracted by the things around us? technology, sin? Or will we allow our shepherd to provide for us? The play doesn't stop there. He goes on. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You see, at some point in time in the long journey from the sheepfold to finding pasture, The shepherd knows that at some point in time he needs to find some shade and some water and allow those sheep to lay down because sheep are dumb enough that they would walk themselves to death. If the shepherd kept walking, the sheep is going to keep following and eventually would just... doesn't know to rest himself. Are we smarter than a sheep? Do we take advantage of the fact that God has given us a a built-in mechanism for us to rest. You've heard about that already this morning. Both the girls gave a a wonderful testimony of what that is. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we can, at any point in time, sometimes after one day of failure, sometimes after four days of failure, we can go to God and say, "Uh, I can't do it, God. I need you to do it through me. Will we take advantage of that fact? Paul got onto the Galatians for not doing that. He said, oh foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, in other words, trusting in God by faith for your salvation, are you now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? Are you pulling up your own bootstraps? Are you burning the candle at both ends because, by golly, I've got to do this? Or, in the morning when you get up, is your prayer... God, today is yours. I can't do today, whatever day holds, will you do it with me? Parents, when you get up in the morning, is your prayer, God, I need you to fill me with your love so I can love my children. I need you to provide for me patience so that I will not exasperate them. I need you to give me wisdom so that I can train them and guide them in the right way. Spouses, When you get up in the morning, uh, wives, do you say, God, I need you to help me love and respect my husband? Husbands, when you get up in the morning, will you pray, God, I need you to help me to love and care for my wife sacrificially? Because we won't and we can't. We're like sheep. We're dumb. We, We won't and we can't do it on our own. We need help. But it's not just that we need to rest from self-effort to do the things God has called us to do. Our bodies were built for actual physical rest. This is a fairly laid-back community. But we still can schedule ourselves busy sometimes. Do you schedule yourselves rest? I think one of the reasons that God required the people of Israel three times a year to take a week-long vacation and go to Jerusalem... Obviously to worship Him, to learn about Him, to bring Him praise and honor and glory. Obviously to fellowship as a nation, but they needed rest. It was a hard life. And he knew that if he didn't require it, they weren't going to do it. There was always one more row to hoe, always one more row to plant, always a few more crops to get in. There was always something to do you schedule rest, physical rest. We need to do that. The sheep, David, keeps talking. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A shepherd doesn't like to to lose a sheep. Yeah, there are dangers. There's... um, There's a lack of grass. But there are also wild animals and there are robbers and there are dumb sheep who wander off at times. But ultimately, the shepherd takes personal responsibility for those sheep. His reputation is on the stake, on the line, for getting those sheep from the sheep pen to pasture and back all together. That's why Jesus told the parable. It would have made sense to them. He's got his 99. He loses one. He's going to go get it. His reputation as a shepherd is on the line. But you know what a sheep does? It just follows. Most of the time. It just hears his voice and it follows. And the question are are we as smart as sheep? Or do we think, you know, God gave me these directions, but I don't like this set? This one's okay. You know, the one that, the directions that talk about the, the nice, hill with all the grass on it. I like that. But I don't like that long, barren, desolate strip of land. Or, you know the part where the the shade trees are and the the water? I like that part. But you know that, that really rough, rocky area? I don't like that. But do we ever think that maybe, sometimes, to get to that nice hill with the grass, we're required to go over that dry, barren, desolate spot? that as He lays out for us how to live our lives, some of the things we like, some of the things we don't like, that maybe, just maybe, He knows our needs better than we do. Are we smarter than sheep? Are we willing to follow our shepherd? I think this scene is, is about over, but there's one more thing the character says Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, in in that desolate landscape, sometimes you would walk through a a valley or a ravine and the walls would would kind of loom up on on each side, blocking the sun. It's it's dark. It could be dangerous. The story of the Good Samaritan walking along path and the robbers jump out from behind the rocks. They get him. But you know what? The sheep doesn't follow the shepherd through that dangerous, dark path going just follows. He's experienced enough time seeing that shepherd with that club, that rod, and and that staff that he he leans on. Sometimes it looks like he's old and tired and and if something attacked me, we're in deep trouble because that guy leans on that staff way too much. But it's like, it's like in the movie Star Wars, if, if you've seen that. Yoda, the wizened old Jedi Knight who's about this tall and kind of limps and walks on a staff. But when trouble showed up, that guy can move faster than anybody on the planet. Flip and twist and turn and fly through the air and wield that sword. It's kind of like that shepherd. It seems maybe at times that if, if trouble happened, we're in trouble because I'm not sure he can protect us, but he does. And the sheep doesn't think anything about it. The sheep just follows this guy through thick or thin. Day in, day out. The difficulties of life. The sheep follows the shepherd. Are we smarter than the sheep? When life is dark, and it does get dark. I'm not denying that. Disease can loom up like those cliff walls, financial issues can can darken the mood in our house, problems with relationships between a husband and wife, between parents and kids, between friends who have walked away. Life can be dark, but are we willing to rest in the protection of God in the midst of that? curtains close on on scene one and and behind you you can hear the the moving around of of stage props they're they're getting ready for the next scene and and when that happens there's a time to sit and rest and reflect and, and think and when i go to a play i, I mean I, I want it to to mean something to me and i and i think The question that we should ask ourselves after scene one is, will I rely on my shepherd? Will I do that? Will I rely on him for provision, for rest, for guidance, for protection? The curtain opens again, and in the middle of a stage, there's a a table that's set. It's filled with food. There's a man sitting at the table. He's a guest. It looks like he's been traveling and he's sat down. He looks tired and and worn out. And somewhere from off stage, you you hear kind of this uh, scene setting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And you're watching the man, but then you notice there are, there are windows in the house, and and you look, and there are, there are faces in those windows, and and they're sneering. There are voices, and 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 some from from that window right over there are calling to the man at the table. Their intent is to to make him fall by enticing him to do something he knows he shouldn't do. In the window directly behind the table. Um, there are other people who are reminding him, bringing up his past sins. Are you worthy to, to sit at that table? Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And then another window, just real enemies who are seeking his life. And then from the side door, in walks the host. And, and you can see the look on the, the man's face. He's looking from the host to the windows. Surely he, he hears all that. But the man walks over and, and takes some oil and, and anoints his head and cleans his face. A, a common occurrence in that day, a kind of refreshing, cleansing preparation for meals. It's been a long day for this traveler, and he's just making him feel welcome. He doesn't seem to notice the faces in the And then you see him point at the table. There's food. And, and the man sitting there takes some bread and he dips it in some oil and, and he takes a bite. And, and he notices, and, and you notice in the audience, that those voices get a little dimmer, a little quieter. He does it again, still a little quieter. And then the most bizarre thing happens. This is a, a high-tech theater, by the way. Special effects are, are pretty neat. The host takes a pitcher, takes the man's cup, and he, he begins to pour. And it's a dark red liquid, maybe it's wine, and he's pouring and, and pouring, and the man's just holding it. And and then you think, wait a minute, because the cup now is overflowing, and you think, maybe they should have practiced a little more. But he keeps pouring. And that liquid runs over the edge of the cup and onto the table and, and then onto the floor. And you think, someone needs to stop but you notice it doesn't make puddles on the floor. Instead, what happens, that liquid begins to to rise up over just the walls. And pretty soon it, it covers the windows. Those voices, those faces, those enemies are gone. And the man and his host enjoy a meal together curtain closes. Words spoken, just actions that speak to me and and I have to ask myself, am I willing, will I rest with my host? Will Will I allow him to cleanse me? Will I allow him to refresh me? Will I allow him to Provide for me abundantly. And then the curtain opens again. And this seems even more bizarre because just in the middle of the stage, all there is now is a blank screen. And then again from somewhere off stage, you hear these words, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when those words end, images begin to appear on the, on the screen. And, and first you see a, a boy sitting in a field petting a sheep. And that image changes to a, a boy and, and a whole bunch of brothers wrestling in the, the yard. And then you see a, a boy with a, a staff in his hand, and he's guiding the sheep. And, and then you see a, a picture of a boy with a sling in his hand and a, and a giant, and you go, Oh, that's David. David. And the pictures keep changing. There's a man fasting and and weeping at the altar. There's a man dancing in front of the ark as it comes into Jerusalem. There's a man leading an army out to battle. There's a man walking on top of his palace looking down at a, a beautiful woman. There's a man again weeping over another son and and you hear him say, Absalom, my son Absalom. You see that same man ordering his general to go and count all the people in the nation. You see that same man handing a letter to one of his faithful servants, a man named Uriah, and sending him back to the battlefield. You see him hiding a cave with some of his closest friends. You see him sneaking up behind uh, another king named Saul and cutting the edge of his robe off, but not doing anything to harm the king. Image after image. Some spectacular, some just sitting at a table with family. Some pacing back and forth across his bedroom floor. Images. Over and over. but as you look closely you notice something else every image there's also faintly these two horses and it looks like they're pursuing him they're not following him they're they're pursuing him there's a look on their faces of determination and purpose intense it's like an army pursuing a uh, Another army that's fleeing—it's like a, a hunter pursuing his game, and the look on his face is: there's no way of getting away. And as you look closely, uh, written on the side of those horses are the words "goodness" and "loving kindness." You kind of begin to put two and two together, and you go, "Oh, I think I think that's I think that's God." Regardless of what was happening in David's life, sin or triumph, despair or joy, miraculous or everyday, in every scene, those two horses, goodness and loving kindness, were pursuing David. God was pursuing David. Every of the way. And then, quick as that, the scene changes. And it's not flashing images anymore. There's just one picture. And it's David. He's in the temple. And his gaze is fixed on God. And he's worshiping. I think that's the right response. I think that's the right response to Our God who provides for all of our needs. For our God who gives us the rest that we need. For our God who guides us and leads us in the correct paths. For our God who protects us. For our God who refreshes us. For our God who provides abundantly for us. For our God who pursues us with goodness and loving kindness each and every day. And the curtain closes. One, that's a weird play. But number two, will I rejoice in God? Will I take David's cue and, and do that? Now, before you get up and, and leave the theater, there's a, one other thing that we need to do. This play's been around for a long time. And there's been some people who've written about it. On, on the back of your program, there are some, some quotes from some critics who've seen the play before. I want to talk about one of those. So if you'll turn over on the back of your program, there's a, there's a quote by a, a, a play critic by the name of Athanasius. He lived in Egypt several years ago. He said, should you become aware that you are being shepherded and led in the right path by the Lord, seeing Psalm 23, rejoicing in this. Now the problem is is that we often think of Psalm 23 as the psalm that you hear at funerals. Nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate. But one of the things that I hope you noticed is this is a song about everyday life. This is a psalm about going to pasture and coming back. It's the psalm about getting in your car and driving to work every day and dealing with those things that happen and coming back home. It's the psalm about sitting at a table, whether that's with family or friends. It's the psalm about God pursuing us each and every day of our lives. Should you become aware that you are being shepherded and led in the right path by the Lord, sing Psalm 23, rejoicing in this. This afternoon, around the dinner table tonight, this evening, when you wake up in the morning, some questions that you should ask yourself are the questions that those three scenes bring to mind. Number one, will I rely on my shepherd? Number two, will I rest in my host today or this evening? And number three, will I rejoice in my God? Because He rejoices in you. And He pursues you with goodness and loving kindness. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for blessings. Father, we are indebted to You that You pursue us intently and passionately. As we sang a little while ago, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. God, we praise You because You did not stop pouring until You had poured out everything, Your Son, on our behalf. You have pursued us to the point of death and You have redeemed us from our sin and our selfishness, from our hatred of those that You have placed in our midst from our stupidity. And You've given us Your Holy Spirit. Father, remind us, encourage us through Your Spirit to rely upon You, to rest in You. And may we as individuals and as a body never cease to praise You for Your goodness and Your majesty. So God, we look forward to this week because we trust that in You we will find guidance We will find rest. And we will find opportunities to be your light to those around us. And we ask these things in Christ's name.